0: hi hello csun students thank you so much for joining us today it's it's thursday april 8th 2021 it is around 2 p.m in california and it's sunny outside and we have a special guest with you today so thank you so much for joining us students and matadors when i transferred last fall to csun i took comms 356 intercultural communications and comms 360 Communication and the Sexes, in which our guest speaker, Dr. Kelly Oakdyke, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, but she'll correct me when she gets on, um, was my professor. I built a human-to-human professional relationship with her, and I personally love and enjoy the most about her is that she's very approachable, she's incredibly intelligent, humble, sweet, and professional. She's very organized and works hard, just like some of us do Um, some of us and the most interesting thing about that I found uh, after I completed her courses is that during the time she was teaching those courses and probably more uh, she was also going through her her PhD program and so She's a lecturer and career coach in the Department of Communication Studies at California State University, Northridge, and I'm sure she does other things, and she'll talk more about that, but that's so far what I know from her, and today um, I wanted just to have her on, and you know, I want to pick her brain, and I want the students to really learn from an, an individual that had to go through the academic journey, just like we all are, and hopefully get inspired by her. So welcome, um, Dr. Kelly. I get to call you doctor. <laughs> Thank you. It's
1: so awesome to be here. And the last name is Updike. I know it's complicated, but I always have
0: to correct people. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Updike. Okay. Perfect. It's what kind of um, last name is that? Um, well, I believe it's Dutch, so I didn't
1: grow up with my dad's side, so it's complicated that like I have an attachment to that name, but I don't really know much about the background. Okay, um, but uh, it's it's similar to like there's an author called John Updike, um, but his name is written U P D I K E, um, and I guess like his ancestors sort of made it so that it would be easier to pronounce here in the U S, but. Um, my part of the ancestry decided to keep it in the
0: the Dutch form. So yeah, a little bit of history there. I love it. I love learning. Yeah. And so thank you so much for sharing that. So yeah, I guess what I want to ask you, how does it feel to be called doctor? <laughs> um,
1: it's, it's a little bit weird. Uh, you know, the, it's funny cause I actually just got my graduation, um, gown and all of that yesterday and like ripped it out of the box and put it on immediately uh because uh it just seems so weird but also like i worked really hard for it and um as you know i'm the first person in my like entire like extended family to go to college at all so um for me to have my phd is just like crazy to them and to me um but yeah i mean hearing people call me doctor it still seems weird um but it also, you know, I, uh, I don't insist on it, but uh,
0: it's an- I try to like be proud as well. Yeah, absolutely. You earned it. Um, it's an honor, almost. Like you said, it's hard work, especially with just everything that you just mentioned right now, like being the first in your family. And I mean, it's also fresh. <laughs> so I'm sure I can I can understand that. Um, just the freshness of it being heard. You have to almost, you know assimilate to it you know that that name that title if you will um and so professor pro, i'm going to call you also professor and switch back and forth okay
1: that's
0: okay. fine okay great <laughs> um so what you know i was just really blown away by learning that you were going through your phd can you tell us now you're also um an adjunct i think that's what you call like and uh with csun or a, is that like a part-time um like you're not a full-time uh, professor, right? Yeah,
1: yeah it's complicated. Our, our technical term, I think, in the at the school is lecturer. Um, colloquially, we're sometimes called adjuncts, but um, my actually parts of my dissertation, actually all of my dissertation looks at um, our position and we use the term, like academics who study this type of labor use the term contingent faculty. Um, there's still some There's so many different labels, but and still problems with each label. But that's that's the way that we describe ourselves.
0: Okay, good to know. Yeah, I'm learning the language as well. Contingent. I'm actually writing it down. Um, Okay, got it. And so, with that said, you know how was it? How many classes are you currently uh, lecturing? And 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 also, how many classes were you lecturing during your uh, your your PhD program that you were um, working on as well? Um, So
1: typically I I do four classes um, per semester. I have in the past, you know, every once in a while done five, um, even when I was working on the Ph.D., but um, I'm under contract to do four per semester, and that seems to be the for me the maximum although I know that there and actually like you can only teach up to five um, if you're working with CSUs Um, but I know that other part-timers teach you know at different places and they sometimes have like eight nine even ten classes yes Um, but I personally can't keep that straight Um, and even I mean obviously especially when I was working on my dissertation um, it, it was complicated to sort of negotiate you know, I would have to decide like, okay, so today is the day that I'm going to be working on my own research. Um, And then the next day is the day I'm going to be uh, grading all the online like uh, smaller assignments. But then the weekend is when I have to grade all the papers if I have papers due that week. Um, So, you know, it was really hard. It was a little bit easier when i was working on my dissertation and when i was working on my qualifying exams because i wasn't also taking classes um for two years i was taking classes and also working full time uh well i guess technically not full-time but teaching the same amount um and commuting from from northridge well i live in like central la to northridge to then claremont which is like in traffic to sometimes it it was up to like two and a half hours from Northridge to Claremont um so those those couple of years were especially difficult uh, and exhausting but I and you know I was writing like at least two 20 page papers um, per semester at wow. that point plus plus other work so yeah it was it almost was like when when I got out of those courses and I started focusing on exams and dissertation it almost was easier in a way because I wasn't having to navigate all of the specific coursework
0: right my goodness that's a lot of information now I just want to also say like how did you do it I mean I know that you're super organized at least that's what you that's how you held your classes like incredibly organized you were um, like you mentioned your, your scheduling um like we would get our grades pretty quickly compared to like other if I were to compare you to other other professors that we've had I mean you were like on top of your game and now when I spoke to you last time I said well gosh did you ever sleep like how did you do it and I remember you telling me yeah I really needed to sleep so like can you tell me about that and then also like how did you manage to do it like what are the tips that for the people that don't know, and even for yourself, like, what would you say? I know that you're going to talk about like what worked for you. And I love that you're just so mindful of that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like you just said, um, I think just like with everything, like it really does depend on you and what works for you. And it really takes some practice to like, you know, trial and error, see like, okay, this works or this doesn't. But the things that I sort of learned that worked really well for me um, is first of all, prioritizing sleep, like I said. Um, I make sure that I have a routine where, you know, I um, take some time to like lay in bed and do a little bit of reading before I go to sleep and uh, i try not to push myself too much in the mornings so that i have this sort of sleep routine and you know in the morning i have my tea i walk my dog um so that those times like and that's about 10 10-ish hours um those are like my time to rejuvenate and relax um i may not always get the best sleep but i make sure that i'm in bed um For uh, you know, like eight to nine hours and doing all of that, so sleep routine is really important um, for me uh, to stay. So, you know, I I struggle with mental health, and so for me, uh, things like checklist helped me feel less overwhelmed and less anxious. Yeah. Uh, And so I'll do like my checklists will include things like teach the class, um, so that you know even even the stuff that like is almost a routine like i put walk my dog on my checklist um because you know even those things are things that like if you can check things off you feel like you've done some things for the day and for me for me having the check checking things off is really useful um that's not the case for everyone of course right right Uh, yeah and and i also i do uh restorative yoga uh two to three times a week which is like sort it's like meditation, but a little bit, um, with like some stretching as well. So that helps keep me grounded. And when things are getting really, really overwhelming for me, like taking that time, um, to ground myself, uh, can at least help me get better sleep, um, and help me restart the next day. If I'm having a particular difficult day but that those are the things that work for me
0: now I know that for me like for instance sometimes when I read at night I don't get like 100% sleep because I'm now thinking about what I read or like my assignment and stuff so like to shut that off I think what you mentioned is I think just practicing that like the checklist and stuff because At least we'll know okay like we have time because it occurs to me that although you have you did so much right you're still having your 10 hour sleep you're still um taking some time to yourself and you're still writing and and teaching you're writing 20 page papers uh, you know or or doing exams or other things and yet teaching and working I mean by you kind of knowing where your time goes like being in control of that I feel like it seems like in conversation like a lot but yet when you break it down and you hone it in it's doable
1: yeah yeah and i will say with reading um if you read before bed read something for pleasure rather than um read something for class or read something that's fiction rather than nonfiction. um like read something you can escape into and sometimes that can help although again doesn't work for
0: everyone right yeah, I'd like what you yeah. said though. I think the conversation here is really about hey, this is what works for her. You can give it a try and or figure out what works for you. You know, and I think that's real though because for instance, I I was like kind of burning out and killing myself and just kind of not having any fun at all and just really concentrating on on my classes because I just felt like that worked for me. But again, I for me it was a burnout to so, like I started kind of um, on Fridays like I would that would be my like, yeah, it's Friday. I'm going to pick up my daughter and go to the park with her and have some Mm -hmm. fun with her or go, you know, get myself a treat and um, and just doing something like special like that. So I hope that our listeners um, can, you know, at least the ones that are struggling and, you know, every semester changes, too. So that's another thing that I know for me, I'm still adapting to the the rhythm of the professor you know the lecturing and the amount of work and the deadlines and things like that so balancing that um can be interesting so i mean other than um than that um what i guess my goal my my question is what do you love about teaching like why did you choose this career um,
1: well, I didn't initially choose it. I, I never thought that I would be teaching or in any sort of academia, but um, I graduated with my bachelor's during a recession. Um, so, some of you can sort of share in that, like right now, graduating um, is a really stressful time. And, you know, it was difficult finding a job. I was working as a server, which is fine, but it just wasn't something that I wanted to continue doing. Um, I will say, I think I made more money working as a server than I do now, but um, it just wasn't fulfilling. Um, And so I decided to go back into a master's program. Um, I went to Cal State LA, although I did get accepted to CSUN. It was just too long of a commute for me. Um, And I, uh, in in that program, I had the opportunity to teach, to help me pay for school. Uh, And it helped me, um, so so I took it and like I, uh, i found it really challenging because i deal with a lot of like speaking anxiety but um i also there was parts of it that uh, i felt like i enjoyed and the part that that drew me to it was the way that you can build community both inside the the classroom but also with the people that you're teaching with um and that's something that you know i'm really trying to work more on right now uh, i love building community inside the classroom but i think we, we as you know, instructors, as academics need to work more on how we work with each other on the outside of the classroom um, to help each other take care of ourselves. And I think that also speaks to some of your questions about like, how do you get through some of this stuff? Well, part of it is like, I try to work with others to build communities that care about each other. um, And that helps keep me going. And that's part of what brought me um, to want to keep teaching.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's so interesting. So you didn't really like know you wanted to do this. You just kind of, it just kind of, and it's, and I feel like that's a commonality when we ask, or I've asked many different people, like, how did you know you were going to be where you are now? And most of them generally say, I just didn't know. It just kind of like, navigated there you know one thing led to another um and so let's talk about that career coaching that you um that you do at CSUN because you definitely do help students you have a passion for that community I know that um you know you've always mentioned um and 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 work on getting resources for the students at CSUN so can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah well part of the reason i do that well first of all i have to give credit to um uh dr kamara sorry about i almost called her by her first name um she started the program and me and another guy named joseph ayala work together on the program now uh but so i have to give credit to all of them but what i do with the program and the reason why i think it is really important is um i try to make sure that the students who are in our program um aren't are prepared for the workplace and sort of are starting to think about what their careers might look like um before they graduate because you know i was like many comm students i was one of those that i had this degree that was so generalist yeah and you know i could you know i I'd learned a lot but I didn't really know how to apply what I learned um, to, you know, where I could go. And that's part of why I think the program is really important because we can help guide students um, to show them, oh, well, okay, so this is a rhetoric class. Yeah, of course, like there aren't specific jobs called like a rhetorician unless you're in academia. But you can use some of that, like if you want to go into marketing, it can help you better understand how someone crafts a message um or i mean you can really use rhetoric in just about any um sort of career scenario because it has a lot to do with like critical thinking and understanding um you know whether someone is trying to get you to do something or how they're trying to build community community or something like that so the program is really trying to help people
0: understand how to build those connections to um what their career might look like and now how do students know about it because i know like the turnout is not Like, I know you send out emails, but not too many people either know about it or, um, you know, how do, how do we, like, if anyone's listening to this, how can they find it on? Yeah. How can we find it? Um, So as far as
1: I know, there's a social media, like a calm social media site that's been sharing um, these different events and sharing information about what's going on with career coaching. Do you know the link? I actually don't know, but I, while we're talking, I can try to find it. Okay. Um, okay. Actually. make Yeah. Let me see, because so I'm not in charge of that particular part that the people who work for the comms department, um, do all of the posting for the events. And so I don't
0: have like that. Yeah. That's okay. That information. Yeah. I That's, that's yeah. what I was getting. If you're a communications major, or if you're listening and you're outside of it, maybe you can still. Um, participate by just contacting the department and finding out um, the career coaching aspect of of it, and I, I do believe that that is super crucial. Um, you know, last time I I ordered a pizza and one of the guys was like, oh, I just graduated, and I said, oh, really? And like I was just taken back by the fact that he had a degree and and um and was delivering pizzas, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is like the the conversation and the point that we're trying to make here is that. While we're in, in school, I think it goes hand in hand with learning on how to navigate the job uh, career aspect of it. I think most people, most students just focus either on one on just the studies and the degree. But then what are you going to do after? I mean, most likely you, we have to start hunting for those jobs. And I did a LinkedIn workshop with um, Dr. Kelly and, and, and um, Updike and um And I think that was very helpful because I I felt like the percentage of CSUN what I learned was that it was really low um, of of students utilizing that platform. And to Mm -hmm. talk to my classmates and to bring value to them, it felt so encouraging and so empowering. And I felt so good to like, have these conversations. Um, Because like you said, like this one student in comms asked that question, I remember, and he said, Well, I'm interested in music. And it's like, okay, you can, whatever your interests are, I I, I I feel like you can incorporate, you know, what you like into this kind of career. It doesn't have to be like boring. You just, We just have to do a lot more work and research, just like anything, right? Yeah,
1: and and also be more intentional about the classes that you're taking, Um, and you know, like if you're doing a paper for rhetoric, like maybe you should be studying the way someone's album was branded or a particular video that you find interesting or something like that, Um, because that's something you can talk about um, in your cover letters that you make to help apply for your jobs and then in your interviews um and it can make you look like you've studied music even if that wasn't your degree
0: yeah i know i like that because as long as we're doing research and we're utilizing these because many times the professors they allow us to choose our topic of research or analytics and i like that and so again i'd like that at least we're putting it out there for the students to kind of be encouraged to think outside of the box and not just try to get that a but really think about, or that easy A, but really think about the passion behind their work. I think that's where you can stand out, um, you know, as a, as an individual. Now I do want to mention to everyone that in my next episode, next Friday, I actually am going to have, um, the career counselor on to talk more about just that career coaching that you and I are speaking to now. So I think that's going to be very Mm -hmm. encouraging as well, just to bring that awareness because you'd be surprised how many um students just don't utilize these resources considering it's there i don't know if it's because they don't know or they don't have the time or they're choosing just not to attend um but what would you say to those people that maybe need that little push to to attend these workshops um You know, this is something that I've been racking my
1: brain about because uh, what I've noticed is the people who tend to attend the workshops or who tend to make appointments with me are people who already have, um, at least in some ways, their stuff together. Like they're already on the track. Um, And something that makes me a little bit frustrated is like, of course, like I'm here to help them. Right. Of course. But I'm also wanting to help people who were like me, who did not have their stuff together at all. And I, you know, I would just encourage people who maybe people feel intimidated. They feel like they don't have enough together. So maybe it would be weird to, to do something like this. Yeah. I mean, you pay for this sort of stuff in your tuition. Um, the, the career center on campus is like this broader center, it doesn't quite do what we do, but it can give you some guidance and help you know where you want to look. Yeah. And then me, as career coaches can help you use your classes and get you to wherever the career center sort of thought that you might go. Um, and I really, really, I just encourage people to take advantage of that stuff and and make time for it. because. You know, you're paying a lot of money. You
0: you should utilize everything that you can. And at the end of the day, um, you mentioned something really good. We all need each other. We need support. Like to to think that you, we got it together and we know what we're gonna do. That's just not, not the case. I mean, the people that actually attend like myself to these workshops, I'm trying to figure out, okay, um, you know, is this something that like, I know that it's gonna be beneficial. <laughs> and even though I have assignments, like I'll figure out a way to, to just for an hour attend these workshops and so um like you said it's just because i'm trying to figure out okay what kind of conversations or questions that i that can help me or my brain start thinking more you know Mm um but yeah Mm -hmm. i agree i think even the the person who's the most shy you know i think you you need to do your best to like just speak to someone and i think and like i said you know you have these pe- these professors these teachers these um you know who have gone through it on a human aspect have gone through the academic and they're incredibly approachable so um yeah i highly encourage those students just to um navigate and figure out contact different departments um so great well we're almost um, getting close to the end is there anything that you oh well, actually I'm curious to know before we, we end this is so you did mention that before when you were um, uh, migrating to the to the campus on campus and, and teaching there whereas now we're remote um, what is some of the struggles that professors or you have faced during this time of pandemic with just teaching online do you like it less or better? Is, is it better? I mean, do, can you give us a little insight on what your experience has been? Um,
1: it's a little bit mixed. Sorry, there's a the siren going, so I'm going to let it go. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of working remote, um, right?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So there's there's one of the examples. Um, You know, I I have found that classes that are like inter, intermittent or FOI, um, I find those to be the ones that I think would look the best for me, because I think, um, I think it's just really challenging to meet even on a weekly basis with uh, a lot of students because they're really tired of being in front of a screen. Um, some of them can't have their videos on or can't do audio, which means that then most of them decide that they don't want to do it either. Um, and so the challenge is like, Typically, I guess it depends on the class, but a lot of times I'm only seeing one person with their video on. Yeah. And I'm really missing the like the nonverbals or even just like the, the the vibes that you can feel when someone might misinterpret something or someone like has a question because right now when I ask, does anyone have a question? Or if I say now's a great time to ask a question. Um, a lot of times people just don't, and I know that they have questions, but I cannot read their, like, I can't see their faces, so I can't really like build off of that. Um, And so that's a really, that's a challenge, um, especially when you teach stuff about gender and race and disability, um, when, you know, you really do, you're not just defining terms, but you're really talking about the way that people move throughout the world. yeah, yeah I, I, I'm the positive. I don't want to be too negative, but positives are, you know, no commute, um, and <laughs> and um, my anxiety might be a little different because I can control my time a little bit more.
0: Got it. Now speaking of disability, you know, I I have I actually asked um, professor. I asked my class last uh, Tuesday because we kind of were um, it was kind of like being out in the hall talking uh, amongst each other, like. The class was over and we just kind of stayed some of us and i asked the class hey listen why why is it that some students just don't have your cameras on is it, you know and, and 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 the answers were like all over like mm-hmm. one of them was like you know one of them i was shocked i was like he's like yeah i'm blind and i'm mm-hmm. like oh really he's like yeah so i have this anxiety of like you know what are you gonna like if i'm if, like he thought he was gonna get judged for what people might see in the background so for him he just felt comfortable and I'm like oh wow okay and then another one was like well I just same thing like it's mostly like they're not like they're not getting ready for class so they feel like their their appearance isn't as as like they don't want to show their their face um I have a friend who I encourage her I'm like come on show your face and stuff and she will but then she'll go back to like turning it off and and I know she's there and she's listening but it's just, they feel more, some people just feel more comfortable, not, she She told me that she feels like it's a show, like if she puts on the camera. So you have these different perspectives and then some others just don't have that that availability of having a camera or, you know, so it varies in response. Yeah. And yeah. when I heard that, I was like, wow, okay. Like I, I, it almost like, like, I was just like, I don't know, I was just taken back. First of all, I was just really inspired by the person who said that they were blind and just like I'm inspired by your story I'm just like I sometimes in hearing and having that dialogue I think we spoke about this last semester of just even having a dialogue with, among each other we can better understand and allow for that them to find like now I'm like okay then they have their camera off you know what I mean but mm-hmm. but I do understand also you the professor's aspect of them teaching because i know that when i speak out or i'm giving an announcement i feel the same way you do i feel a little awkward i feel almost like insecure because you can't you don't have that that verbal the, those nonverbals or like those facial expressions of like mm-hmm. how you can navigate the conversation so yeah it is a lot more challenging um, a professor mentioned that it's it's hard for him because he can't really see people's souls.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. You know, so so I just wanted to put that out there for students to also be considerate. Um, if you are able to, you know, to do that because it is hard to be up there speaking to like black screens. It really is. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's
1: so true. Yeah, it's but but you know I know that a lot of professors in the department totally understand all the reasons why and that you know it's just part of the struggle that isn't necessarily saying like everyone should turn their camera on because everyone cannot for multiple reasons exactly
0: exactly absolutely um but it is nice to have it on um but again it's still it is what it is and we're just kind of mm-hmm. have to as humans adjust to, to the circumstance yeah yeah so and another thing about questions is I generally am the one asking the questions in the class. Um, and sometimes I have my friends kind of like, I don't understand. They'll text me and then I'll be like, okay, fine. Let me ask the question and Aww. then I'll ask it. But I'm just so interested in knowing or even in maybe doing more research on why that is. And I feel like I it comes, it stems from like just the, how the the younger education was for us like i know like middle school and high school were a little bit more awkward when we asked questions yeah
1: and i mean it's also i think something that's difficult about asking questions online is like well people are still trying to learn how to learn yeah. on the internet and like on zoom and just like for professors like we're still learning how to teach it's a you know a slow process but we're trying to figure it out um but but the challenge you know usually when we were learning how to teach like before we had zoom and we were just starting just teaching regular um we had students who knew how to learn but now we have students who don't know how to learn because we're in this whole new environment too so we're all trying to learn together and that makes things even more complicated and it makes it harder to ask a question because like um even if you went to a great school where they let you ask questions like asking a question on a zoom meeting where someone might be recording what you have to say yeah. which they shouldn't be but they could
0: um is really difficult Uh, And it, you know, it takes a little bit more bravery. You know what? You're right about that. As a matter of fact, I, I had to go to um, the tutoring lab at CSUN, obviously remote, because I, I asked, because the professor was asking any questions and I'm like, gosh, I don't even know how to ask the questions when the material for me was just so challenging to read that Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to ask. Like what? And then, so So the tutor kind of, it was so interesting because he was writing a book about this kind of language and he just expressed to me, okay, like how there's open-ended questions and, you know, um, and so that's, so that's kind of what I've learned. So I now ask the professor, well, I don't have a specific question, but can we have a conversation about what we just read? Mm -hmm. And that starts off like, you know a little bit better like it's not a specific question because i don't know how to even ask like you said i'm still learning
1: and that's so
0: normal and that's so natural and so yeah i just wanted to put that out there as well that i think um just seeking help on that like how to ask questions i even thought about like um writing like an (laughs) ebook about how to what kind of questions to ask just Mm -hmm. those easy open-ended questions because it is hard to ask questions, but that's how we get a lot of the information and that's how we're able to progress in the material.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Questions. I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to formulate them.
0: (laughs) It is. Do you, so like, for instance, in your, in, in your journey, what are some, some of the struggles that you had, like real, real struggles and how did you overcome them, or overcome it Um... that you can think of? Uh, well, I've had lots of different struggles, but I mean, if
1: we get like, just thinking about the questions, like I would be so nervous to ask a question that I would have to write it out on my notepad and like try to rewrite it until it made sense. Um, and even once I had it like written out, I might not ask the question because by the time I figured out what the question was, we were somewhere else in in like the class so as a student i was just like uh never mind it won't make sense to ask this question anymore so like i i mean i feel for people who are not able to ask questions it's just uh yeah so that's like one of the smaller struggles because i deal with a lot of anxiety so that's you know it's part of what i've had to to sort of face even I, I mean even as a professor like i write out the questions that i want to ask um uh, although like sometimes things come up that I sort of think up on the fly, usually the ones on the fly are not as good and don't make sense. Um, and I I have to figure out how to like reword them so that the students understand what I'm trying to ask. Um, but yeah, I usually in my notes, I have like specific questions so that if I'm having trouble formulating my thoughts, I can look at my notes and be like, okay, this question will work for this situation.
0: Right now, I'm glad you mentioned that because that that's true to to a lot like that's true i can relate to that where we are still learning to formulate the questions we write it down it doesn't make sense by the time for instance like same thing with me like i had a question and i was trying to like click on the on the raise my hand but it like she almost like kept going i'm like oh i just had it i'm like i'm sorry professor i have a question but i couldn't raise my hand know sometimes i have to tell her my process and my struggle because some professors get mad when you don't raise your hand um so i just kind of so that's another thing too but but i feel like you know if if we're in that predicament you can always go back and be like professor you know this question i was trying to formulate my question and um and and i know it doesn't make any sense now but can we address it i think just being open about that aspect I think people or where we're at I think people are with us now you know what I mean like I think if we're especially if we're in communications and we're learning to communicate I think but most people just like you said face anxiety and and I've heard this before I think one of the affirmations that helped me with anxiety was I would say I am comfortable with myself therefore I am comfortable with all others Mm-hmm. and i would keep repeating that and repeating that for like a whole year especially when i would go to social gatherings i mean i would repeat that and so finally now it's just i don't even have to say it anymore but i i everyone i think struggles with anxiety i, I know i did and it, it becomes a point where um hopefully you you say something or, or you work on it enough to like help you you know, and, um, but yeah, that's a challenge. That is a real challenge. I know that I wanted to invite a a colleague of mine and she, and I just really thank you so much for just even coming on and sharing your story, uh, considering, you know, um, your anxiety, because I know that I invited a friend of mine and she's like, you know what? I, I can't, I just can't like my anxiety gets really worked up and things like that. So I hope, I just thank you so much for just being so again, like human to human, a professional and um, just giving us insight about your own journey and just also doing, like helping us as students navigate and giving back. Yeah, yeah I mean,
1: of course, that's, you know, it's part of my job, um, it's part of what I like to do. So uh, no, no problem at all, I'm happy to help you.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. And um, so do you want to talk, I just have a curious question, what are your plans like for the next, I don't know, few years forward? do you have any ask, like, <laughs> like any
1: uh, goals well i have i i don't know what my plans are going to be because you know i'm a part-time faculty member so our jobs are not secure um so uh fingers crossed i find a job that is more secure yeah. um uh, but other than finding a more secure job uh i definitely am trying to facilitate a more care centered environment. I'm working on that in the department um, as much as I can, since I don't have a lot of power, but I'm trying to. And I'm hopefully going to be uh, publishing an article or two um, this year from my dissertation. And um, yeah, there's a, I'm doing a big presentation at Boston University in the fall um, on my
0: dissertation. So that should be fun. Wow, that's amazing. Now, really quickly, what when you mentioned dissertation, that's obviously for PhD, but can you tell us a little bit more for those that have never heard of that word or know what that means? Um,
1: well, it, it is sort of complicated because it depends on the school if they call it a dissertation or a thesis, but oh. typically, typically a dissertation is like the really long research project that you write at the end of um, your PhD. And it what it does is it sort of utilizes the coursework that you had. It utilizes um, particular theoretical frameworks, um, but then you study a specific thing that you are interested in. Um, yeah, like for me, I studied uh, uh, part-time faculty who teach diversity classes like intercultural communication.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Now I just, I just ran for the USU Board of Directors and I lost the campaign, but one of the things that I wanted to kind of maybe work on with that organization was not only for the students, but also for the professors, professors like yourself that somehow you're part time and and it would be great to continue having you um, in our community as a full time faculty because Now there's we as students are at risk in you needing to leave the school and and your talent and your your um, you know uh, from CSUN you know because you're not a full-time faculty. So, um, that was something I wanted to work on as well, but yeah, it just didn't work out. Um, but still, I'm still going to use my voice. I'm not going to give up though. I'm still going to use my voice because I can still go into these meetings. I don't have to be leading them, but I can still participate and bring up these conversations. So you, just so you know, you've inspired me, um, with that, with the symbiotic relationship of students and the faculty.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important because I think the university, um prioritizes students which is great but um you know when there's a whole community of faculty who are just overworked um and you know i would say all of the faculty are overworked but um especially contingent faculty don't even have job security that's it's not good for them and it's also not
0: good for the students it's not it's not it's not that's not it's just on a human level it's just not safe like you you have we all have bills to pay we all have that you know maslow's needs and -hmm. if we can't have that then how can you expect someone to perform at a high level performance which you're doing Mm -hmm. and it's just not i don't think that's um fair at all so i think i'm glad we're bringing this up on the podcast i'm hoping that um you know i can bring that conversation forth and and start creating change on campus and really think about others and not just ourselves, not just our own degrees, but really make an impact on a community level because we all need each other at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, well, thank you so much. Do you wanna, I usually like to leave the students with something positive and encouraging words. And I know that you've, you you kind of do that in our classes. Is there something that you wanna say to the audience before you leave?
1: Um. I didn't realize I do that too, but I do try to stay like there's a lot of negative in the world and I try to remind that there is some positive. Um, I would just say that um, you know something that helped me when you know we, I was graduating and things were going through a recession is I try to remind myself that you know I have a lot of great things that are around me, um, even if there's a lot of things that I would like to have and so I think maybe just working towards being a little bit more content with some of the things that you have around you, um, which I know isn't possible for everyone. Um, I think that's something that I think all of us could work towards being content and being kind.
0: Yes, that's a good one. You know, I was in my, in my communications 327. my. I think it's rhetorical theory class, um, one of the uh, theorists that we were studying, and and I, I don't have my notes in front of me, but I'm going to try to remember from the top of my head. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me was that the professor mentioned and was teaching us that as human beings, we always try to, like, we are motivated by absence. Mm-hmm. So like you just mentioned right now, I just, I I just got triggered by what you said about like, you know, let's not focus too much on what we don't have, but really on what we do have. And I think that's such a good practice for humans because, you know, we do always think about what we don't have. And I think if we just kind of come back to like what we do have, and of course it's good to have goals and all that stuff, but like keep it into a balance of not just always thinking about what we don't have. Um, so I just thought that was so interesting. Uh, so yeah, when you mentioned that, I just was like, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: It sounds like, so, yeah, Kenneth, so, Burke. Sounds like Kenneth Burke, but I'm not sure.
0: Oh, yes, yep. you're right. It is <laughs> Kenneth Burke. <laughs> yeah, you see, I love it. Yeah. So sometimes, and this is what teamwork's about. <laughs> sometimes, you know, because it's so fresh to me, but, you know, uh, having these conversations really help. And yes, it is. We were just studying um, Kenneth Burke. So everyone right now in California and wherever you are listening, you know, hopefully my podcast can go to different universities or, um, Cal state universities. Um, you know, go outside, get some fresh air, um, figure out what works for you before you get back onto reading your books or writing, you know, that paper or doing research, you know, um, just go out there, get some fresh air and then come back and reset. So with that said, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much, um, Dr. Kelly Mm -hmm. Opdyke for being my guest speaker today and for just helping us with your story.
1: Of course, thank you so much for having
0: me. It's good to talk to you, Diana. Thank you, bye.